My name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here at Anchor, and it is good to see you here this morning. As Brad has already shared, this is an exciting Sunday for us. We've been working towards this Sunday for a couple of weeks now. This is our fifth week in this venue, and we're really excited about what uh, we hope God is going to be doing here, not just in this building, but in the lives of the people that come into this building. Because God is not just on about bricks and mortar. He's on about transformation of people's hearts. And so it's great that you could be here. Uh, Just as Brad's already mentioned, there's a number of different people in this room. Those of you who call Anchor home, I'm excited that you're here this morning because I believe that God has a word for us from John 15. And for those of you who are our financial supporters, you've been journeying with us in this since we started. We just want to say thank you for being here. And and, I'm I'm excited that you're here this morning because I believe that God has a word for you as well, that we want you to see that what you've partnered with us in has substance and will last. And finally, for those of you who have been invited here this morning, friends of our Anchor family members, we love it. We love having new people here. People who are just exploring, have questions about the faith, questions about Jesus, believe that God has a word for you here this morning as well. So... I'm really looking forward to preaching. I'm going to ask that God would anoint the speaking of his words. Would you join me as I pray for us now? Let's pray. Father God, we pray that you might give us the faith to both see and believe what you have for us. That it can happen. We ask that you might forgive our small-minded, self-centered ambitions. And we ask, Lord, that you might give us gospel confidence, confidence in you. Convict us this morning, Jesus, that we can do nothing without you. And so as we come before you in your word, God, speak to us wherever we're at. Speak to us this morning. Transform lives. Send us out of here radically changed people. We ask it in the strong and powerful name of Jesus and all of those who agreed said, Amen. Amen. Our vision here at Anchor Church is this, that we would build a church, be a church that sees our city transformed as we make disciples of Jesus to the glory of God. That's our vision. That's what we're on about. That's what we've been on about since day one. And that's what we're going to be on about until the day that we die or pass this on to the next generation. And my aim this morning is to demonstrate for you that this vision that we have is not just something that we have come up with, that we have dreamed about, that we thought was good, but this is a vision that Jesus has for his people and for his church. And so to do that, I want to take you to John chapter 15 this morning. So if you've got a Bible with you, come to John chapter 15 verse 1. If you don't, that's fine. The scriptures will be on the screen behind me. But John chapter 15, and we're going to start in verse 1. This, um, this section here forms what is known as the upper room discourse. This is like the Last Supper. We've all seen that artwork. And this is the moment where Jesus spends in that upper room with his disciples from chapter 13 to chapter 17 of John, preparing them for what lies ahead. Literally the next day, Jesus will wake up, go to the cross and die for the sins of the world. And so these words here form part of what is the final important instructions for Jesus' disciples and their ministry. And this is what he has for them. This is his vision for them in John chapter 15. This is what he says. Chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus speaking, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. 
Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's Jesus' vision for his disciples, for his people. That by being connected to Him, by remaining in Him, abiding in Him, they would go and bear much fruit. It's a vision of growth. It's a vision of multiplication. It's a vision of progress. It's a vision of a church that would prevail. It's an exciting vision. The question is, what is the fruit that Jesus is talking about there? Well, part of the answer comes in chapter 15, verse 16, where Jesus says this to the disciples. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. This fruit that Jesus wants to see in the lives of his disciples is something that he chooses people for, appoints people for and sends them to do. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds very much like Great Commission language to me. That sounds very similar to the end of Matthew 28. That sounds like Luke 24 and Acts chapter 1. That God would, that Jesus would choose, appoint, and send people to go and bear fruit. And so this fruit that Jesus has in mind here is the fruit of making disciples of Jesus. That word that is used there that he appoints them to this task is the, the same word that is used to describe of appointing someone to a specific ministry. Paul, the Apostle Paul, uses it of himself when he says that Jesus has appointed him the worst of sinners. He has appointed him for the task of making much of Jesus, for the task of declaring the gospel. Again, Paul uses that in Acts chapter 13 where he's talking about the good news of Jesus to the Jews and they reject it. And he says, that's fine because God has appointed us. He has made us, same word, a light to the nations. And so this language of being appointed is mission language. It's the language, it's the task of making disciples of Jesus. His desire for his people, for his church is that we would give our all to see lives transformed by the good news. That's Jesus' vision. Now, to be fair, the fruit that Jesus has in mind here is not exclusively mission and evangelism and making disciples of Jesus. There is other things that that are included in there. So obedience to Jesus' commands in verse 10 is part of it. Experiencing fullness of joy in Jesus in verse 11 is part of it. Loving one another is part of it. But primarily, the fruit that Jesus has in mind here for his disciples is the fruit of going and making disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples. It's expansion, it's growth, it's multiplication. The question is, what is the purpose of Jesus' vision? If his vision is that his people would be connected to him and make disciples of him, what is the purpose for that? And the answer is found in verse 8 of chapter 15 where Jesus says this. By this, 
My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove yourselves to be my disciples. The glory of the Father is the goal, is the purpose of Jesus' mission for his people and his church. That the name of, Jesus, that the name of God would be lifted up. That's the purpose. That, that his people, by being connected to him, would go and make disciples to the Father's glory. Does that sound familiar to you, Anchor Church? Does that sound vaguely like making disciples of Jesus to the glory of God? It does, right? Whew. Isn't it good to know that we're on point, at least on something here at Anchor Church? That we're on about the very same thing that Jesus wants to see happen in his people. Disciples of Jesus to the glory of God. Because here's the deal. If we do anything other than what Jesus calls us to do, we're wasting time. If we do anything other than what Jesus calls us to do, this is a waste of time. We have to be on about what Jesus calls his church to do, about making disciples of Jesus to the glory of God. This is not my vision. This is not a vision that the staff have dreamed up. This is something that the author of life has appointed for his people. These are the good works that he has prepared in advance for us to walk in. This is what it means to follow Jesus, that we would make much of him to the glory of God. And so I want to demonstrate for you this morning that our vision here at Anchor is not something that we've made up, but something that God has appointed for us. But that's not the reason I picked this passage. Because I could have made that point from a number of other passages a lot easier, less convoluted than I just did. The reason that I picked this passage is because in this passage we find the means of this vision happening. In this passage we find how this vision is actually going to take place. And the answer is that as you abide in me, as you are connected to me, as we remain in Christ, this vision will happen. This is how he says it's going to happen. Come back to verse 4 with me. Chapter 15, verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus makes this comparison between a branch that is not connected to the vine with his people. He says, look, this, this branch here, if it's disconnected from the vine, it is impossible for it to bear fruit. And in the same way, if you are not connected to me, it is impossible for you to bear fruit. Reason being is branches and people that are disconnected from the source, from the nutrients, from their sustaining life-giving source will shrivel up and die. That's his point. You cannot go it alone. The means to seeing this vision happen is by being connected, remaining, abiding in Jesus. You know, um, my wife Tash and I are pretty good at, at killing plants. In fact, we've got a bit of a knack for it. We, uh, the very first house we moved into when we got married was a, a house we inherited from some friends of ours that they moved out, we moved in. And Chris, who, who was there before us, had spent many years nurturing and growing this huge passion fruit vine that grew across the whole back veranda. 
And it was there, I guess, to hope that maybe there would be some fruit, but that never really happened. But its primary purpose was to shade the house from the hot westerly sun in the western suburbs of Sydney as it beat down. And so as we took over this house, he handled me the mantle of the garden hose and some fertilizer to nurture and grow this passion fruit vine. And I did pretty good until we were away on holidays and there were four days of 40 degree heat in a row and I came back and the passion fruit vine was dead. It had died because there was no water, there was no source of life, no nutrients for it to continue to grow and so it shriveled up and died. I remember we had this colorbond fence that looked a bit ugly and so I wanted to cover it up by planting a few marae trees and, and create this little hedge along the fence there and so I dug a trench and I went and got the trees and I put some soil in there and when I planted the trees five out of the six of them I'd actually planted below the surface of the earth because the trench was too deep and I didn't have enough good soil to top it up but planted them anyway a few months later two plants left one plant left eventually they all died some of our friends knew of our proclivity to kill every living green plant in existence. And so they gave us as a gift this plant and they said to us, this plant is impossible to kill. It came with a little tag on it that said, this plant thrives on neglect. We're like, yes, this is our type of plant. We can, we can do this. We couldn't do it. We killed the plant that thrives on neglect. Like all you had to do was water it once every three months and we managed to kill that thing as well. The point being, is that as soon as a plant is removed from the source of its life, its sustenance and nutrient, it dies. Jesus is saying the same for you. If you are a follower of Jesus, you unplug, if you pull out, if you disconnect, you will die. But living branches, they bear fruit. And the life of Jesus will work its way through us if we remain attached to him. You know, I think the problem is that we read verse 5 and in our heads we, we, we say, Jesus says, apart from me you can do some things. Apart from me you can do most things that you're capable of doing except for the little things that you're incapable of doing. I'll give you a bit of assistance with those ones. That's not what it says. It says, apart from me you can do Nothing. Nothing. You know, in a, in a world that is highly individualistic and, and intensely independent, in a world that says, if you believe in it, you can achieve it, you can make your dreams come true. To hear a verse like, apart from me, you can do nothing, that's almost offensive to our culture. What do you mean I can't do anything? It makes us sound needy. We certainly don't want to be needy. We want to be self-sufficient. We want to be independent. We want to be capable people. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing. And the reason being is that the task that Jesus has appointed us to, the task of making disciples to the glory of God is a task that is actually impossible for us. Because that is the task that requires someone to move from death to life. And that is humanly impossible for us. A number of years ago when I was in, involved in youth ministry, I had a couple of interns who uh, volunteered a few days a week and used to do some training with these guys. And one of the training things that I did was we went to Minchinbury Lawn Cemetery, a huge, huge lawn cemetery out in the West. And I asked my interns to just take some time to walk around the cemetery to maybe find a, a person who had died 
recently and reflect on what they'd said about themselves. Maybe find a person who had died the same year that they were born or maybe find a person who had died the same age that they were now and to just reflect on, on life as they walked around this cemetery. But one of the things I asked them to do was to find a, a grave somewhere in that lawn cemetery and to stand over it and to command the dead person to come back to life. Now just picture that for a second. Here are my interns walking around a cemetery, standing over gravestones saying, in the name of Jesus, come back to life. All of the people that are there grieving and taking flowers like, what is going on here? These... Now, I think they did it discreetly. But my point in them doing that exercise was this, that it's impossible for you to do that. You cannot tell a dead corpse to come back to life. And you can't make someone who is spiritually dead come to life. The task is impossible for us. And so when Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing, he means it. There is not a single person in this room who has had their life transformed because of religion. There's not a single person in this room who has had their life transformed because of behavior modification. There's not a single person who has had their life transformed by being good enough. That only happens as Jesus does what he does in moving us from death to life. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. You know, I believe that one of the biggest hurdles that we need to overcome is the hurdle of our own stubborn self-sufficiency that plays itself out in prayerlessness, that plays itself out in falling to pragmatics, that we would lean on our giftedness rather than leaning into Jesus. It's the biggest obstacle we have to overcome in the church. In fact, I remember a story that um, a friend of mine, Guy Mason, who's pastor at Seated on a Hill, Melbourne, tells. He was at a, at a, a meet and greet for a bunch of successful, famous pastors. And he was talking to this guy who was a pastor of a mega church, huge church, very well-known pastor. And he came up to Guy and he said, Guy, tell me what's your secret to success at City on a Hill? Now, the success at City on a Hill is that they're a church plant that started seven years ago and now have 1,500 people. And Guy begins to tell him what he believes is the, the secret to success. He said, well, we've... Um, We've opened the Bible and we talked about Jesus and we made much of Jesus and we prayed and, and God did his thing. I mean, it's been an evidence of his grace at what he's done. And he says, what about you? What's the secret to your success? And he says, in all seriousness, pretty much it's just good marketing. Pretty much it's just good marketing. For the church to prevail, for the church to bear lasting fruit, we do not lean on marketing and smoke machines and good design. We lean on Jesus. The church that bears much fruit is the church that is prayerfully dependent on God. The church that is eagerly, prayerfully depending on the Holy Spirit to do His work. Because apart from Him, we can do nothing. Nothing. We have no hope of seeing this vision come to reality. If we're not a church that is leaning into Jesus and all that he has for us. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's kind of humbling, isn't it? For people who like to be capable and independent and self-sufficient. You know, the other way that this vision comes to reality, 
apart from abiding in Jesus, is that the Father, the vine dresser, prunes. You notice it says that in there in, in verse 2. Have a look. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that, he, that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. God is intensely committed to the fruitfulness of his people, to the fruitfulness of his church. So much so that he would cut off and carve off the bits of us that are ineffective and inefficient in order that we might bear more fruit. He prunes. Now, no one likes pruning. It's hard. It's painful. It's difficult. Hebrews talks about this process as the discipline of the Father. In our household, um, the Sparks family household, my dad loves a bit of pruning. I think my mum and dad are here this morning. It's a bit, of a bit of a family joke when my dad goes to do some pruning because he gets the shears and he gets a saw because you need a saw to do some pruning. And what was once this lemon tree that had green leaves all over it looks at the end of it pretty much like a naked stump. And you think, there's, there's not even any leaves left on that. How will it survive? And then yet a year later, as the season is right, the leaves are there and the fruit is there. Because what pruning does is it allows the tree to bear more fruit. You notice the emphasis there on more? You notice the two other times Jesus talks about much fruit. The quantity of the fruit is important. God wants, he's intensely committed to his people bearing more fruit, being fruitful, abundantly fruitful. That's his hope. That's his desire. That's what he works towards. And so, if we want to see this vision of our city being transformed by Jesus come to reality, we need to remain in him. We need to be open to the pruning of the Father. Now with that kind of in mind, I want to get a bit more practical about what the next step for us here at Anchor is. I want us to think about What's next? Because that's what vision really is, right? Sometimes people make vision too confusing. Vision is just this. It's a hoped-for future. It's what we see. And so our staff have spent some time at the end of last year praying and thinking about what is next for us in this new season as we come into a new building. What is next? What does God have for us as a church? And so I want to hit on a couple of things for you quickly here. Anchor's growth has been quick, shall we say. At least in the circles that we mix in, at least in our city, Anchor's growth has been quick. Just two years ago, this church started with 18 people in our living room. And we've gone from there to what you see today in two years. And we've just moved into this bigger building to accommodate more room for more growth. Now, we believe that that is an evidence of God's grace, that he has blessed us, that he has made that happen. But here's the thing. When a church has success, when a church grows, when things are happening, we can so easily default back into thinking, we did this. We made this happen. Aren't we good? We can so easily just default back into thinking, well, there's not much left to do. Once we fill this building, we're done. But here's the deal. Jesus' vision wasn't just for a big vine. Now, Jesus' vision was for a fruitful vine, a vine that would bear much fruit. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying that numbers don't count. Numbers count because behind every number is a person. Behind every person is a story that Jesus wants to redeem and use for his glory. Numbers are important. People are important to us. 
But I was reading this, this quote from an author, J.D. Greer, recently, and he said this, and I think it's particularly pertinent for us in the life of our church. He said, The mark of success, the measure of success for a church, is not its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. It's good, right? The mark of success for a church is not its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. That is, our hope is that we would multiply, make more and more disciples to the point that we need to send people off to go and plant new gospel communities and start new churches across this city. That's the mark of success. Not bums on seats. Not bums on seats. And so as we move to this new venue, as we expand and put more chairs out. I don't want us to think that the goal of this is just to fill this room. Because as we beat the drum of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus, we constantly say that church is not about attending an event on a Sunday. It's about living all of life for Jesus. And that's why we believe that this vision happens when we live in community together And when those communities are not inward, focused, holy huddles, but communities that seek to love, bless, and serve the city around them, that we might make disciples of Jesus. That's what we're on about. And so our capacity to descend, equip, train people, and send them on mission, that's the mark of success for us. And that happens as we lean into Jesus and not just attempt to fill a room. And so as we think about what's next for us, really what's next is more of the same. But what's next for us is we need to stop and think, how is this vision, how how are we going to get there? This only happens when we recognize that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing, that we need him. So we've got some specific numeric goals that we want to set before you as we move into the season ahead at Anchor Church. We've got some things that we want to work towards because... If you don't put a goal in front of people, it's often hard to know what we're doing, whether or not we're achieving the things that we've said we're doing. What does it look like to actually make disciples? How are we doing? How do we measure that? What does success look like, really, if we're on about making disciples? And so here are a couple of things that we want to prayerfully ask you to consider thinking about as we move forward into the next season of the life of our church. We want to see 20 gospel communities by this time next year. 20 gospel communities. Brad mentioned that our gospel communities are the heart and soul of our church, that we scatter during the week to meet in families, do life together, care for one another, love one another, that we might serve, love and bless our city. At the moment, we've got nine of those gospel communities in existence. So what it means for us is every single one of those groups multiplying this year and starting two new ones. We need 11 new gospel communities at the end of this year. Now, to be honest... That's actually really hard. That requires leadership development. It requires prayer. It requires training. It requires your groups who you love, the people that you love, that you form connections with. It requires you to say goodbye to people and move on and start a new group that you might reach a new part of this city. And so our prayer is that all of those groups would multiply once and we would start two new ones. That's one goal for us. The second goal that we have for us is that we want to see people move from death to life. And our prayerful hope is that we would see 15 people come to know Jesus for the first time this year. Have the joy of baptizing 15 people this year. And the final goal that I want to put before you is this. That we would work towards establishing Anchor as a headquarters for sending out, multiplying and starting new churches. That's our our dream. That's our hope. We want to be a church planning church. We want multiplication to be at every level 
in our church, from our gospel triplets to our gospel communities to our churches we want to multiply out because we believe that's what a healthy vine does is it bears fruit and grows. It multiplies. And so we would love if God so would give us the opportunity to plant a new church in 2018. That's only two years away. When we first started Anchor, that cost us a lot of people, a lot of money, a lot of time, and a lot of effort. To achieve that goal is going to cost us a lot here at Anchor. But we believe that this is what God has called us to do, to be a church, a vine that is fruitful and growing. And so would you prayerfully consider, as you go out in your gospel communities this week, what it looks like for you to play your part in seeing that vision come to reality this year? You know, the thing about having goals and big goals is that they stretch you and they cause you to depend on Jesus and they cause you to take risks. And that church is the fertile soil of growth that Jesus loves to bless. And so as we step into this, we step in with faith and confidence in the gospel that Jesus can do what he promised he would do and build his church. I want to share with you two quick stories of visions that people in our church have had that I believe Give us a picture of what might lie ahead for us. The first vision is um, a vision that one of our launch team had very early on in the piece. In January of 2014, we spent a month in our living room in our little two-bedroom unit in Erskineville, praying and planning and asking that God would do His thing. And it was during one of our prayer meetings there, as we were sitting in our, in our living room, looking out across the city, and we've got an amazing view of the city of Sydney, although slowly it's disappearing as apartment units come up all over the place. But we're sitting there and we're praying and one of, one of our team has this vision. As he looks out the window, he sees a forest as far as the eye can see. Thick, tall, healthy, lush, green trees. And he says, I, I feel like that's a vision of what's ahead for us, that God is going to bless this and be in it. The second vision is a vision that someone in our community had during a time of response and worship at the end of one of our gatherings. As a church, we are singing and this person has a vision of a field of dirt, a field of dirt. And above this field of dirt is this blue cloud hovering above it. And this rain begins to slowly fall on the field. And the field is plowed and tilled, but nothing happens. And then the perspective of the vision shifts to beneath the surface of the field and beneath the surface this person sees seeds, lots of seeds, seeds as far as the eye can see. And suddenly the ground begins to shake and these seeds begin to sprout and burst up and cover this dirt patch with grass and flowers and trees and plants that flourish and bear fruit and look amazing. Now, I've kind of hesitated to tell you those. I've been sitting on those visions for a long time. And I've hesitated to tell you this for a number of reasons. The first is that someone's personal vision does not carry the weight and authority of Scripture. And so I don't want you to trust in a vision. This may or may not happen. We trust in what Jesus has done. I don't want us to trust in someone's vision. I want us to lean into Jesus. And so I feel like this is the right talk to share something like that. Because this is the talk that says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Our trust is in Jesus and what he can do. But the reason I share them with you is because I feel like they represent what Jesus wants to see here in John 15. A vine, a tree, a plant that is fruitful, that flourishes, that bears abundant fruit. 
And so I can't help but think of those images and be encouraged by them. And I hope you are too as you think about what this looks like for our church. That as we lean into Jesus and he overflows us with his life and that flows out of us, that this church would be fruitful. Not just big, not just bums on seeds, but a church that multiplies and makes disciples. You know, the reason that as a church, as followers of Jesus, we need him is because apart from him, we can do nothing. Apart from cutting ourselves off from our source of life means that we die because Jesus is life. And he makes that statement a number of times in John's gospel. I am life. I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. In fact, in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says this. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. In Jesus is true life. In Jesus is spiritual life. In Jesus is eternal life. He is life. He has come to give us life. And he says that he does that. The good shepherd does that by laying down his life and dying our death for us and gifting us his life and granting us life everlasting. The reason that we need Jesus is that without him, we are dead. You know, one of the writers of the Bible describes that state of deadness or sin like this. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, he says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. See, our problem is this. We have forsaken God, the source of life, that fountain of life. And instead of drinking deeply of him, we have turned. And we've sought to drink from what is a broken toilet bowl that is not sustaining, that is not life-giving. We need Jesus because we've all cut ourselves off from that source of life. We've all cut ourselves, we've all forsaken God. And instead of attaching ourselves to him, we've attached ourselves to all of these other things, hoping that they would give us life. And my question is, do they? Are they giving you life? Because what Jesus says here is that there is no true spiritual life apart from me. Without being connected to the vine, we die. Social demographer Mark McCrindle um, and his team did a, a research project a number of years ago where they asked a bunch of ordinary, everyday Australians some questions about life and faith. One of the questions that they asked people was they asked people to rank in priority a number of aspects of their life. They're emotional, uh, financial, physical, vocational, social and spiritual aspects of their life. How important to you are these things? And what they found was that around 70% of people said that the emotional aspect of their life was the most important thing. That was their highest priority. Whereas at the other end of the scale, the lowest priority, 30% of people, 30% of Australians say that the spiritual aspect is important to them. Interestingly, the next question they asked was, how satisfied do you feel on all of these seven measures of life? 
How satisfied do you feel emotionally? How satisfied do you feel relationally? How satisfied do you feel spiritually? And interestingly, what they found was that despite the fact that only 30% of Australians say that spirituality is important for them, 70%, the highest return, felt satisfied with their level of spirituality. Now what that says is that as Australians, we don't care much for spirituality. We've got a cup, it's about the size of a thimble, and it is overflowing. We are good. We don't need Jesus. That's what That's what we say as a culture, as a nation. We don't need Jesus. The problem with that is, is that Jesus says that it is only those who recognize their spiritual need that find life. It's only those who recognize that the cup is not full that find life because Jesus fills it for them. What we need to realize is that as people, We're not simply just emotional and relational and financial and we're actually spiritual people as well. You remove that element from us, we're not complete, we're not whole. Every single person is being created to worship. And when we remove the spiritual element for us, we're not the people that God intended us to be. Jesus says that You need me. You need me because, in fact, your cup is empty and I want to fill it to overflowing. And the reason that Jesus can do that is because the good shepherd lays down his life. He dies the death that we deserve to set us free. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And so rather than having a a position that says, I'm full, I've had enough, I don't need you. Jesus wants us to confess and acknowledge that, in fact, we do need him to come and fill us, satisfy us, nourish us, and give us life. That's what it means to be connected to the vine. Maybe there are some here today who feel dead, who feel like the cup is empty. And today is the day that you want Jesus to come and fill that. The good news of the good news of Jesus, the gospel of his grace, is that he has done that and he will do that if we connect ourselves to him by faith. Friends, there are a number of people in this room. For those of you who call Anchor home, the message for you today is that apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. We want you to be all in on this vision that we have for our city. And that happens as a church, as we lean into Jesus and not lean on our gifts and abilities and self-sufficiency. Maybe you're a financial supporter here. And I hope that you see our vision as compelling and as aligned with Jesus' heart for his people and his church. And we would love you to journey with us, continue to pray for us, continue to support us, please, as we seek to make much of Jesus. And maybe you're here this morning as a friend, a guest, you were invited. Please journey with us. You know, the number one obstacle to people coming to church is a misconception of what church is like. That it's religiosity, that it's rules, that it's all about behavior modification and externals and obedience. Would you just journey with us? Would you you just hang out with us for a bit and help us show you that that's not what Jesus is about? But he is about giving us life and life to the fullest, life abundantly. 
So our prayer for every person in this room is that you would see the vision that Jesus has for your life, for our church, and that we would lean into him and pray that he would use us to achieve his purposes for his Father's glory. Make disciples of Jesus to the glory of God. That's what we're on about. And that's what I'm going to pray that we would be on about now. Friends, we're going to respond to the good news that that Jesus has died for our sin to set us free, to connect us to the Father again. We're going to do that in two ways. The first way is by celebrating the Lord's Supper. Down the front, and there are two stations to the right and left, uh, two symbols, bread and grape juice. And these symbols represent the body and blood of Jesus that was broken and shattered for us, that we might be connected through his death again to our God. And so we invite you to come. If you love Jesus, come and and participate in this meal as a reminder. But please, if you don't want to do this, do not feel compelled to participate in this at all. Be our guest. Sit back and enjoy this time and reflect and ask that God might show himself to you. We're also going to respond in worship to this great God. This is what it looks like to abide in Jesus, to make much of him. And so I invite you now, church, to stand. I'm going to pray. The band is going to come up. We're going to respond. For those of you who would like prayer. We're going to have a bunch of people up the back, the two back corners who would love to pray for you. If you would like to be connected to God today, then come. They would love to pray for you. If you're feeling dry and empty, then we would love to pray for you. So please make use of our prayer team. They would love to pray for you this morning. I want to pray and we're going to respond. God, we thank you. We thank you that you're the God who is intensely committed to our good, to our fruit. We thank you that your plan for our church, is that we would make disciples to to your glory. And we pray, God, that you would help us to see that that is impossible for us to do ourselves, that we need you to do this. And so please, fill us with your spirit. Empower us for this task. Help us to see what win looks like for us. Not bums on seats, but fruitfulness, sending capacity. We ask that you would do what only you can do in transforming lives for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.